So we continue this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. But, you know, and I would just take a little personal privilege as a proud father. So uh, this last weekend, uh, this this weekend, um, uh, Ellen covered for me last night. I said, Ellen, can you cut me some slack? Can you give me a, because I'm, I'm going down to be able to go and um, be a part of my son's graduation. And he graduated from Nova Southeast University this weekend. Actually, I got a picture of this. And so he is now Dr. Luke Hendren. And so we're just really grateful for that. That was a picture of me and my family uh, yesterday. Yeah, night before, and so just grateful for Luke. He graduated from the Village's Charter School. He went to FAU, and he, he's getting, he got his degree in, um, let's get this right, it's um, clinical psychology. And so he's got a doctorate in clinical psychology, So which is interesting to me. So he is all about psychotherapy. So that's a little scary in that because that means he's psychotherapy and everybody in my family, and it's a little scary about that. But anyway. So we're real grateful for Lou. So we continue this sermon series on the, on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I just love this. Uh, once again, the theme today is about forgiveness. And so there's this great, let me just read one little story that Jesus specifically talked about. And it's a parable about the unforgiving servant. It's really a powerful story. And so it kind of gives us kind of a uh, somewhere to go this morning as we think about the prayer and, and as Jesus' teachings on, um, on, on forgiveness. So um, this is, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the 18th chapter. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. So when he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and his children, all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity of him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the whole debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seized him by the throat and said, Pay me which which you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything I owe you. But he refused then he went and threw him into the prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that they had, well, it all had taken place. And the Lord, uh, and then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he will, until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, well, it means he, we're all children to God. Who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Sounds like a pretty good topic for a sermon. So, you know, I was thinking about this this, as I was, you know, I I had already written my introduction, but I was thinking about this this, uh, just a few minutes ago. And, um, you know, there's some basic essentials to life, right? Because I, I, 
last week we talked about daily bread. And the word daily there in the Greek literally has to do with what is essential to life. So then when Jesus uses that phrase, as we talked about last week, about daily bread, well, food, daily bread is, especially if you lived 2,000 years ago. By the way, if you go to Israel with me, I I tell you, every time you go and sit down at a table in the the Mediterranean culture, there's always bread on the table, always. There's always some kind of bread. Um, Usually olive oil, some kind of hummus. This is just kind of how they do it. So daily bread is a really big deal to that tradition and still has been that way for you know, nearly 2,000 years. So when Jesus talks about daily bread, but he also talks about when he said, as I share with you all, I am the bread of life. What is essential life? I am essential life. Your relationship with me is essential life. Food is essential life, but when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that's essential life. Okay. And so what's interesting, if I learned this this last week, and I, I never had, I missed the detail, but I don't want you to miss the detail. So let me just teach for a second, okay? So when he talks about give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, there's an and there. I always blew through the and, but and is a conjunction. And has everything to do with the next phrase, So if you go from, um, give us this day our daily bread, give us what is essential life, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you see the detail? What's essential life? Not only is daily bread essential life, not only is Jesus Christ, when he says, I am the bread of life, is essential life, but do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying forgiveness is essential life. There's a thought. It's right there. The word and, it connects the two. So I, I started to think about this, this idea about um, what's essential life. What, is, what do we need? Well, of course, we need, um, we need daily bread. We need food. We need clothing. We need, we need water. We need air. Um, also, if you go to psychology, I think it was, um, uh, uh, there's a hierarchy th- the theory of um, how we, what the th- basic theories that we need in life. And, and we also need a purpose in life, right? We need a, uh, it's part of that greater existential question. We need something that, that we have a passion about, something that gets us up every single morning. We need a purpose in life. And, and what gets me up every morning is that I have this privilege to be able to live into the kingdom of God and to love Christ and love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength and to love my neighbors, myself, and to be able to have a ministry. And that gets me up every single morning to love people and to serve him in our church. That's, what, that's part of my greater purpose in life. So what is essential life? I was thinking about, you know, this morning, um, my wife is pastoring two churches and she said that when she was, um, she's been there one year, and she noticed when she was going into her church on Sunday morning, there was this homeless person that was sitting on the rail um, underneath the overpass. And um, she saw the person, and a lot of times she said that when she would see him, she wanted to stop, but she never did really, never stop, because she was always ready to try to get to church and so forth. But she would see him there sitting there under the guardrail and kind of wondered what his story was. And um, turns out, um, he was a member of her church. And she didn't even know it. And um, she did his memorial service from, um, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. He was struggling with alcoholism. 
and he finally, he finally succumbed to that. And they had a very powerful service for him. And I think one of the most powerful things that I, as Donna came back and she shared with me about that whole service, by the way, that was her first memorial service. And um, she said, Harold, it was really powerful. And it just reminded her that everyone is truly a child of God. And the, the power of forgiveness and love in that room was really amazing as she gave her first memorial service and the people got up and shared about that young man's life. What is essential life? Food, shelter, water. Here's the one, how about bathing? I, I didn't realize this, but um, he actually would bathe in the river. Wow. You know, it's interesting, my, my, um, we have a little dog, his name is Charlie. Matter of fact, I think I got a picture of Charlie up, there's Charlie. And so Charlie is, um, you know, what's interesting is Charlie does not like a bath. He, he hates a bath. He hasn't got the whole connect of the dots that bathing is kind of essential to life. He, matter of fact, what happens is um, he has allergies and so, uh, and so the other day he was itching. So what I decided to do, I was just going to throw him in the tub. And we have like this special, super expensive shampoo for this dog, right? To moisten his skin. And so I literally, and what's funny about Charlie, he hates the giving a bath so much. I literally, it's like cat and mouse. So when he hears the bath water rolling, he runs and hides under the table. Then I'm jumping over here, I'm going over here, and then I'm going over here, and I'm going over here, and he's hiding from me. And I finally kind of lasso him, I throw him in the tub, and I give him a bath, and he cries <laughs> the whole time. And we go through the whole routine. But what's interesting is that Charlie doesn't realize that I'm just trying to help him. And um, I'm trying to not only help him, but he, he doesn't connect the dots. He doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to go to the tub. For some reason, he just hasn't, he doesn't realize that, that, that not only am I trying to help him, but the water in the bath is really soothing him and soothing his skin. A lot of times we just don't want to go there. Even though we know it's good for us, sometimes, even though that we know it's probably the best interest of it, we just don't want to go there when it comes to the idea of forgiveness. I, I, was, um, I, I wrote this little quote down this week. You're not going to find it in any book anywhere, but here's, here's my quote for the day. What, a clean, what clean bath water is to a dirty dog is forgiveness to a soiled soul. Sometimes we just have that hard time out. We just don't want to go there. We, we have these, these phrases that we have that when it comes to like unforgiveness and when, our, when we are, have this, this idea that we just can't let go of it. Like, uh, here's one. You haven't heard the last of this or mark my words, I'll get even or over my dead body, right? We've heard these over and over again when it comes to the idea of forgiveness. So I was thinking about the idea of when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is, I mean, without forgiveness, we're left with a lot of guilt and alienation. We, we, we need forgiveness for relationships to last. We need forgiveness for friendships to last. We need forgiveness to have familyhood to last. I mean, it's, it's just kind of one of those, well, it's essential to life. It's a staple to life. Forgiveness. And what's very powerful is, you know what, and I can sit here, and I think the title of my sermon this week when I think when I put it up was um, Easier Said Than Done. Can I amen on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've all, everybody in this room has 
grappled with something, something that's happened to them or something that you've done or somebody is something that's done to you. We've all struggled with this, this forgiveness thing. And yet Jesus doesn't just leap over it. No, 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 Jesus, he, wants, he takes us there. Give us this day our daily bread and daily bread essential to life and all, by the way, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. See the connection? And so, you know, um, in my own life, just a couple examples, you know, a few years ago, I think I shared with you my, when we first got married, Don and I had saved a, you know, a few thousand dollars and we trusted this person who was a part of our church and, and he tended up being a fraud and he took all our money. And it was just, it was, it wasn't a lot of money, but I tell you, it was a lot of money to us and it was, it was everything. And I just remember just being so devastated, not only that, I guess I was vulnerable. I mean, I was, I was naive and I trusted someone. And matter of fact, he and his wife even went to our Olivia's first birthday party. They were there. It was just, it was just tragic. And I knew they were in trouble when the FBI called us. That was not a good sign, right? Okay. Um, I had a guy in my, and, and yet what's interesting is it took me a while to finally get to the place to finally forgive that guy. I still remember when it happened. I, remember I was jogging. I was in Dunallen at the time, and I just was, when I jog, I pray, I meditate, I think, I reflect. And what was interesting on that particular day, I don't know, I was just kept going over and over. I was almost obsessing with it. Have you ever done that? You've been obsessed over something or someone has hurt you and you continue, you just can't let it go. I was doing that. And I still remember, I still remember the moment. I said, and, and it was like this peace that went, as Paul, Paul, the peace that goes beyond all understanding just came and washed over me as I was jogging down Dun Allen Boulevard and I finally got to the place. Harold, Harold, Harold. Let it go. And it did. Now, I didn't forget, as Pastor Ellen just pr- talked about in her prayer, but I did get to the place I was able to forgive him. I had another guy in my church before here, and I shared with him, I'll just call him Billy. Billy, Billy was out, you know, it, Billy almost destroyed my ministry. Matter of fact, I almost got out of the ministry because of Billy, and it was just a really, really difficult time. And I tell you one, though, so I finally decided one day that I was going to do everything I could to reconcile with Billy, everything I could. And, um, and so Billy was, um, you know, he was the chairman of one of the main committees. He was the key usher, and he had a lot of influence in the church. And, and so um, I decided one day that I was going to do everything in my power to throw him an olive branch. So I knew he liked polo shirts. And so I went down to Belk Lindsay's, and I bought him a polo shirt, and I wrapped it up, and I took it to his house, and I gave it to him. And let me tell you something, it wasn't one of these cheap knockoff polo shirts. I bought the real thing, right? And um, I remember the next day, and next, next week, he came to church, and he was wearing that polo shirt. And now I tell you what, going to that store and picking out a polo shirt and putting it in a box and wrapping the box and drive over to that guy's house and ring the doorbell and sitting down with him and giving him that gift was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, but it was actually one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because I still remember it. it. happened 20 years ago. Forgiveness. And so when I think about, you know, um, I don't know if you realize, but the literal translation in the word forgiveness in the Greek 
has everything to do with letting it go. I didn't realize that. And so what happens in our lives when we, we have something that, that, especially when something's happened to us, we have a really difficult time letting it go. I brought a visual aid um, this last week, someone said to me, you know, Harold, I always like when you come to church because I look on your stand, I think, what's the visual aid this week? So uh, I actually have it hidden. And so here's, the, here's my visual aid, and I've actually shared this before, it's chains. And what's very interesting about chains is when you hold on to something that's, you know, when you had this, this grudge towards someone and you think over my dead body or I'm going to get even or I... You know, I, I hate you, I can't let it go. It's almost as if that you take these chains and you wrap them around you and all of a sudden you are literally carrying the weight of these chains day in and day out. And they take its toll, these chains take its toll on you. It takes its, the, the chains, the unforgiveness that you have in your heart, whew, wow. It wears you down physically, it wears you down mentally, it wears you down spiritually. When you have these chains wrapped around you, that's exactly what you have in life. And so we get to the Lord's Prayer, and what I think is very powerful, and I think, you know, Jesus, a lot of times we don't want to go there, but Jesus takes us there, doesn't he? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what's essential life. And, don't miss the whole conjunction, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is essential to life. And the problem is a lot of times we just don't want to go there. I, I was thinking this last week about you know, this, this idea of forgiveness and holding on and, and the grudges that we have. And, you know, and, and what's very powerful is when it comes to the, the when, I, when I looked this word up about forgiveness, it, it literally means, okay, releasing the right to get even, letting go in order to move on, and not, in, not holding it over someone else's head. I think that's actually pretty profound, isn't it? That's what the little Greek version of forgiveness means. Releasing the right to get even, letting go in order to move on, and not holding it over your head or someone else's head. And, and so we have this, uh, Jesus teaches us, he teaches about forgiveness and he teaches us about grace, but he also says something about repentance. And re repentance means that has everything to do with that we get to the place in our lives and say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I am sorry. This is sorry, our relationship with Jesus Christ, but also the idea that we are sorry for our sins, but our transgressions, but we're also sorry when we've hurt other people and having the guts to be able to go say, can you please forgive me? And to be, or, or having the guts and the courage, because sometimes we don't want to go there. Someone comes and asks for forgiveness from you, and you either you can either accept or you can reject the forgiveness that someone is asking. And the word there, I love the word, is repentance. And in the little translation, the word repentance means to think differently. I didn't know that. To think differently. And when you start thinking differently, this is what happens. It means a change of mind. It means a change of heart. And it means a change of behavior. Wow. 
That's kind of amazing, isn't it? To repent literally means to, to think differently. And as Christians, you know what? We do think differently. This is, the, this is the, the way in which Jesus Christ has taught us to live our lives, to think differently, because the world doesn't think like this. You know what the world tells you? The world tells you to give in. It tells you that, you know what? You're gonna punch me in the face. I'm gonna punch you right back. This is what the world teaches. But Jesus has a whole nother way of thinking, doesn't he? Especially when you think when he was on the cross and he says, Father, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Wow, and these are the ones who are crucifying him. Jesus teaches us a lot about forgiveness. Jesus teaches us a lot about thinking differently when it comes to forgiveness. And so I, I, that what's, uh, let me just teach for a second. So here's just a thought. So some of you all, if you go back and look at the gospel of Luke and you go to the gospel of Matthew, as I share with you all, the Lord's prayer is in both. You with me? Okay. And so what's interesting, if you go back and look at the little translation and you go, okay, in Luke, he talks about forgive our, our sins. You go to Matthew and you have this translation. He talks about forgiving our debts. And then in Maso, the second part, the back part of that, the Lord's Prayer, after Jesus teaches the disciples about prayer, then we find, um, and well, actually he's teaching not only his disciples, but he's also preached on the Sermon on the Mount. But he also talks about trans, um, uh, forgive us our transgressions, uh, uh, trespasses, those who trespassed against us. So the question is, you are saying, which is it? Well, guess what? It's all three. Sin, debt, trespasses. So the word sin there literally means, I love this, to miss the target. It's an archer term. So when, you, when it comes to sin, it's like we have totally missed the target of where we're supposed to be headed. Y'all follow? So let me give you an example of that. So have you ever just missed the target? in life. I mean, the idea, I love Max Lucado's quote. He says, try not sinning for five minutes. Just try five minutes. Try five minutes. I, I, just love that. I just love that. That's one of my favorite Max Lucado quotes. Just try not sinning for five minutes. It's so, you know what? It just creeps up on you. And, and you know what? You, you don't even realize it. It's just, all of a sudden, it's just there. It's like, bam. You're just kind of cruising down the road. And all of a sudden, there it is. Like, for example, this is my, my moment this last week. So I'm pulling over here and I'm coming back from Walmart the back way. And so um, I'm pulling, going to go pull into the church. And so I don't know if you realize this, but if you come the back way and you're turned into this, um, from this other direction to the church, there's a turn lane that has a turn arrow, which you would go left to go back towards Walmart. But, um, but also, um, so what I did when I was coming back towards the church, I actually pulled into the turn lane because I didn't think anybody was coming. But all of a sudden, there was another person who was coming down, and all of a sudden, she wants to be in the turn lane. Now, technically, she was right. <laughs> technically. But I was already in the turn lane because there really isn't really a turn lane to turn into the, to our church. There's this the little easement that goes turned. And so anyway, so when I was in her turn lane, what does she do? She honks her horn at me. And so what do I do? I honk right back at her. And, I, and, I, and so, of course, this is probably not the best thing for your senior pastor to honk the horn at this other lady as I'm driving into the church parking lot wearing my Love My, love my Neighbor's t-shirt, right? It's, not, it's probably not the best thing. 
But do you see how sin and anger and frustration can just sneak up on you just like that? Uh, what my, uh, my favorite part of the old liturgy, and listen, I was raised in the, with the old traditional liturgy and the communion liturgy, and I don't know for some reason, but this is just kind of just stuck in my head for years and years and years, and when it comes to the idea about um, our, our relationship and our liturgy with our, with, um, when, in the early church, and it had everything to do with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. Forgive us, Lord, for these things that we have done, for our thoughts, our words, and our deeds against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and hardly sorry for these our misdoings. I just love that. I love that liturgy. For some reason, it just stuck with me throughout my childhood. And of course, you know what we have in life when we have comes to the ideas, and we got the seven deadly sins. We got lust, gluttony, greed, indifference, anger, envy, pride. Just take your pick. It's all there. And then Paul gives us the opposite of that about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They're all there. And you know what I started thinking about this week, guys? I, I, I started thinking about, okay, so sin is missing the target when you have that word in the Greek. But then I started thinking, okay, but what is it when it comes to God about hitting the target? When do we hit the target? Well, Love God with all your heart, soul, and all your soul and all your might, and love your neighbor yourself. God calls us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good one, isn't it? That's hitting the target. Yesterday, I was um, taking my granddaughter. We were going fishing. She comes up to me, Pa, will you take me fishing? Sure, Marley, I'll take you fishing. So they live, and there's a little canal right across the street from their house. So we go out, and I'm walking along, and I see Donna's car, and I notice there's like this little dent in it. It's a brand new dent. I just know about all the dents in our car, right? And the dent, you know what the dent is? It's not like a big, like someone just blew into the car. No, it's not a big major. It's one of those little dents where someone opens the car door and rams it right into the side of your car. Has anybody ever had those dents? Right? You know, you get it. So I was walking along. I said, look, Marley, there's a brand new dent in your grandmother's car. And she didn't have, and I said, and then I used it as a teaching moment. I said, Marley, you know what? Sometimes people just don't have respect for other people's property. I said, somebody opened up the door. You know, maybe they did it intentionally or not intentionally, but you know, there it is, a big dent. There's no, you know, it's just the way it is. And I said, you know what, Marley, you really should be respectful of other people's property. And because, and then I said, and I turned into a whole life lesson. I said, you know, I had that somebody said something about that. I said, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then it led into a whole nother conversation about Jesus. I love teaching my granddaughter about Jesus. So, you know, when I think about missing, you know, sometimes we hit the target. Sometimes we miss the target. 
But you know, when you look at the, the Gospel Luke, he talks about sin. And sin has everything to do with missing the target. And then G, in, in the Matthew, he talks about the idea of debt. Oh, there's a great one. So when it comes to debt, you know what's interesting? I did not realize this. But this is just amazing to me. So back in first century, and this is so genius about Jesus as he's telling this parable, right? Because everybody basically, guess what, in the 2,000 years ago, was in debt. Not a whole lot's changed. <laughs> I would, you know what, I looked this up this week. I just thought this was the amazing thing. Average American family credit, credit card, 6270 bucks. Total outstanding U.S. consumer debt, $4.2 trillion. Total credit card debt, $807 billion. 45.4% of families carry some sort of credit card debt in our country. That's amazing, isn't it? Not a whole lot's change. And what's very interesting is that when Jesus has been in this parable, is that's powerful in that when people are in debt, a lot of times it was, an, it was an agricultural community. And so what happens was that they would buy, you know, they would be tenant farmers. And so the landowner would hold the right to the property and they would use, they would use the property and then they had to pay the, the, um, the person who owned the property a certain percentage and they had seed and they hoped that their crop would come in. But what happens when your crop doesn't come in? Then you still owe the landowner all this money because you're leasing the property. But then you can't pay them. What happens when you can't pay him? You go deeper and deeper in debt. And so the landowner can sometimes, at some point, and this is part of what's happened in 2,000 years ago, and this is exactly what this parable is all about, is that this, people would owe all this money to people, and then either the landowner could either call on the chips and say, either you pay me my money, or I could put you in, well, once again, in debtor's prison. And, and, the, and here's the really interesting thing. You ready? So if someone came to get you out of prison, out of debtor's prison, that person's called a redeemer. So when the person pays your debt to get you out of debtor's prison, that payment's called you've been redeemed. Oh, Jesus is on to something. So we, when Jesus is paid it all on the cross, by the way, I had that conversation with our granddaughter this week. We went from a dent in the car and Nani's car to do unto others as you do unto them all the way to the cross of Jesus. And she's four and she's getting it. So there's something to be said about Jesus being a redeemer, Jesus being the one who's paid the redemption price for our sins. Oh, that's good. And then here's the last little part. So we have sin, miss the mark. We got the idea, okay, and now we got that in Luke. Then we have in Matthew, we got the whole idea of debt. And Jesus, we have that version. And then, um, and trespasses means that, here's another little interpretation. It means you've crossed the line. You, you, the trespassing means you've gone in someone else's turf or you've crossed the line in someone else's territory. And so once again, we, we find this theme here that 
we've been somehow been violated or someone's crossed the line in our lives. And so Jesus says, forgive those who trespass against us, which is a very powerful image. Yeah. Only time I remember ever getting caught trespassing, literally true story, I was in Georgia and um, I was fishing with my roommate in seminary and um, we he pulled over the side of the road, we were up in Dahlonega, Georgia and um, little did we know that there was a game warden behind every tree. We did not know that. And so we just walked down this trail and we were fishing for trout and everything was good. I mean, we were way back. And then all of a sudden I see this game warden coming out of nowhere and thinking, what is he doing here? And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. And then he says, do y'all boys know that y'all are trespassing? And I said, no, we're just dumb seminary students. We have no idea. And then he says, do you all have a fishing license? And of course my roommate did, but I didn't. And I knew I was in deep, deep doo-doo, you know, and so he took me down to the down to the county jail, and guess what? Lo and behold, thanks be to God for my roommate because he redeemed me, <laughs> paid the price to get me out of jail. Redemption. It's essential to life. So I close with this. So we have, okay, uh, forgive us our sin, forgive us our debt, forgive us our trespasses. So this is this, uh, I close with this little story. This is a story of um, Scarlett and Jesse Lewis. And I think I got a picture of Scarlett and Jesse. Here they are, okay. Maybe you don't, maybe you do, maybe you don't remember. Back in t December 14, 2012, um, Scarlett Lewis's six-year-old little boy, Jesse, was killed when a gunman walked into Sandy Hook Elementary School, Newton, Connecticut, shot and killed 20 children, six of the staff. It was the most deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Um, that morning, um, when Jesse's father came to pick him up for school, she said, I turned to give Jesse a hug and saw he had written, I love you, and frost on the car door. I ran inside to get my phone and took a picture of him in front of it before kissing him goodbye. The picture has become such a precious memory. She said, I thought I'd never be able to come home to the farmhouse where they lived. When I'd raised both my boys alone, Jesse's personality was always exuberant. There were so many memories everywhere, but eventually we came home and a few days later, I found something that, was nourished, that has nourished me ever since. Scribbled on a chalkboard by Jesse a few days before he died were the words, nurturing, healing, love. Spelt phonetically. These are not the words of a six-year-old, and goodness knows where he heard them, but it was Jesse's writing, and for me it was a prophetic message that I would well, hold on to and spread for the rest of my life. Reaching out to others has saved me. People tell me that Jesse's message of love and compassion has helped them to change some pain in their lives. To be able to pass on Jesse's legacy is very healing to me. Forgiveness is essential to my resilience, she says. A social worker came to my house shortly after the incident. Kneeling down with her hand on my knee, she said, I know how it feels. 
I've also lost my son, and I'm here to tell you the pain will never get better. And that moment I thought, that is absolutely not going to be my journey. As I chose the path of forgiveness, initially it felt as if the shooter was attached to me by some umbilical cord and all my energy was being sapped away. Forgiveness felt like I was given a big pair of scissors to cut the tie and regain my personal power. It started with a choice and then became a process with no neat ending. One day I can forgive and the next day I hear, well, I, I may hear a detail or what happened in the classroom and I get angry all over again. At Jesse's funeral, she said, I urged everyone to choose love rather than hate. I said, this tragedy started with anger, thought in the shooter's head, which grew to rage and escalated to violence. And then she says, so please honor Jesse's memory by cautiously changing anger, an angry thought, into a loving one to make this a better world. Wow. Now think about that. See, a lot of times we don't want to go there. But what I find about from Scarlett, she was willing to go there. And what I found is what saved, has saved her life is that she chose to forgive rather to hold on to her anger towards the person who shot her six-year-old little boy. Now that's powerful. Maybe Jesus was on to something here. Maybe forgiveness really is essential. 